Think back. You probably have had this experience. Have you ever lost something very valuable? Anybody? Yeah, common thing. Okay, I think it is an obligation because I'm, I'm your preacher. It's my obligation to tell embarrassingly stupid stories about myself as often as possible. Okay, you might have picked up on that trend. So here's another one for you. I've lost some valuable things. Uh, this one happened just, just a couple days ago. Uh, and I didn't even know I lost it until my daughter pointed it out to me. Uh, so a couple, couple days ago, my daughter was digging through some stuff. And she found some foreign currency. Uh, in 2002, I spent several months in West Africa, in Ghana. And uh, the money there is called the CD, C-E-D-I. And, uh, and so she found a 5,000 CD note. Here's a picture of her holding the note. Yeah, she found that thing. And uh, that's what it looks like. 5,000. So she's like, Dad, is this $5,000? I'm like, it's not $5,000. It's 5,000 CDs. She goes, how much is 5,000 CDs worth? I'm like, maybe five cent. I don't know. And I explained exchange rate and I explained this was 20 years ago. And like, man, when we made the exchange, I remember I exchanged like 300 bucks at the exchange place for the whole summer. And I had to leave with a backpack full of bills. Like that's how the exchange rate, how terrible it was. And so, uh, anyway, so she's like, okay. So, but just out of curiosity, she Googled it. And so there's a little charts you can Google and, uh, blew my mind. Actually, I'll show you. We Googled it. And, and right now this is the numbers from last night. Here's a chart from Google. Um, is that it? A, a, a one, one U.S. dollar, oh, I, I missed one, one U.S. dollar right now is equal to 7.5 CDs, which means if that's true, 5,000 CDs equals $671.14. Yeah. So I'm like, what? This was in your toy box? Like, she's like, I'm 12. I don't have a toy box. Right. It was like, a, I don't know. It wasn't in a toy box. And so I'm like, what? Okay. Now. Here's the thing. There are several of these bills floating around my house. This was 20 years ago. I kept a bunch of them as souvenirs because they were worthless and they were cool looking, right? And so I take these bills and and I I, I think to myself, we have a lot of these bills. And I remember I have a whole wallet full of 5,000 CD notes. Somewhere, our family immediately discovered a new priority, okay? We start tearing the house apart. We're digging in boxes. We're looking in closets. I call my mom and dad, like, look in the attic. Okay, I tell them why. My dad's like, my, my dad's been to West Africa, to Ghana. He's like, I might have some of those. I'm like, dude, you need to look. So we're tearing things up. We look for hours. I am sad to report we did not find the wallet. And I was so disappointed. And I was like, okay, I mean, $671 is great. But, man, you know what would have been great? More than, more than that would have been great. Um, so I'm, like, getting ready for bed. And all of a sudden light bulb I remembered I know I know where the wallet is so I I literally stood up and ran to my room and located the wallet and I have a picture of the wallet let me show you the picture of the wallet in this wallet was 43,000 CDs this is a true story okay this was in a drawer in my my room and I found it I'm like what? And me and my wife were like, happy dance. And we're like, what are we going to do? We don't even know. We're feeling so blessed. And, uh, and man, it seems too good to be true. But there it was. And we looked it up over and over. If you're curious, now look at that chart again. Uh, 43,000 CDs is worth $5,771. Uh-huh. Have you ever lost something that was very valuable? We found it. We found it was in the drawer my, the whole time. Now, I thought that it was garbage. <laughs> It was not garbage. It was actually there. Uh, But my elation did not last long. Yeah. Yeah, don't get ahead of me. I learned on Wikipedia that night that the money that they used in Ghana in 2002 was discontinued in 2007. 
because the inflation was so terrible. And I read one article that said, right now you can't buy a cup of coffee with a 5,000 CD note. Yeah, thank you guys. I really appreciate that. I mean, it was such a roller coaster. I have, my adrenaline's pumping right now remembering it. It turns out I didn't lose anything valuable at all. In fact, I just kept trash is what I kept in my house and we still have it. In fact, everyone gets one today. I've got them. You can just, there you go. Everyone gets one. Just pick one up at the door. Um, (laughs) Easy come, easy go. Still though, have you ever lost something that that was actually valuable? You have found that when you lose something that's actually valuable, you will stop at nothing to find it. You will look long and hard and longer and harder and you will keep on looking until you find that thing. I have lost some valuable things in my life. Uh, One time I I lost my wedding ring in, in a river in Belhaven, North Carolina. And uh, man, I tell you what, me and my buddies, we, we laid on the muddy floor of that river for hours, like feet and hands, like, like finding this ring, didn't find it. It's still there as far as I know. We looked for a long time. I lost my glasses one time. I wear contacts. I have actually very bad vision. And when I was a kid, I think I was in like fourth grade, I lost my glasses. It was a snow day. Went out to play in the neighborhood with some friends. I think when I left the house, I must have been able to see fine. When I got home, I was like, I can't really see anymore. It turned out I lost my glasses in the snow. And my dad made me go back in the freezing cold and look for them. And then go back the next day and the next day. In fact, even after he bought me new glasses, I think for like two or three weeks, we still walked around. I think he was teaching me character or something. And we were look, never found those glasses. That's like a mystery in our, in our family. Like, where are the glasses? Uh, I recently lost my AirPods. Actually, they were stolen. And that's an epic story. We don't have time for it right now. Don't you wish we did? Uh, I lost my AirPods. They were stolen. I found them. Yeah, I found them using the Find My app on my phone. I actually went to someone's house. That's a story for another day. Um, If you've ever lost something valuable, you know how long and hard you will look for it, right? And you will dig and you will dig and you will dig until you find it. Hold that thought because that's how we're starting today. We're talking about lost things being found. Uh, We're in the final week of this Lamplighters series and our whole goal is to talk about what it means for people who know about the light of God to actually shine it into people's lives. Every single week for almost nine years, we've closed our service with the phrase, shine light in dark places. And we say that, but what does it mean? It it means bringing God's truth, his love, his healing, his forgiveness, his wholeness. It means bringing that into someone's life, telling them about it, even showing people our own brokenness and the fact that we're working it out too. Like that's, that's what it means to shine God's light. And so over the course of this series, we've been encouraging each other to be lamplighters for people, to go and take light into people's lives. And also talking about what I believe are three gifts that light brings. Uh, And so each week we've talked about the light the gifts that light brings. The first week we said that light brings illumination. Light brings illumination. And the idea is that uh, in darkness, when you shine light on it, it exposes what's hidden in the darkness. And the metaphor there is like, if we can just peel back the veneer, the layers, the masks that we're wearing and the brokenness that we have, we can just let God into that or let good God honoring people help us with that. It's embarrassing and it's uncomfortable, but when you shine light on it, you can actually fix it. If you keep it hidden, you can never work on it. So that's what the light of God does for us. And the second week, we said the second gift is that light brings navigation. 
And, and, and so we talked about, you know, navigating by the stars or using the sun or the moon to see at night. And there's a scripture that says that uh, your word is a light unto my path, a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And so there's this, you, know, you need light to see, right? But the whole idea of, of God's light bringing navigation is that it leads us to truth. That's ultimately what we're looking for in life is truth. I want to know what I can believe in, what I can trust in, and what I can build my life on. And so that's truth. Light brings illumination. Light brings navigation. Now, today we have a third gift that light brings, but I'm actually not going to tell you what it is just yet. I want to discover it with you by looking at a chapter of the Bible where Jesus talks about it a lot. Uh, and so if you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We've got Bibles at the door at the shelf there. If you need one, feel free to go grab one. Keep it forever. If you need a Bible of your own, write your name in the front cover and it's yours. Or if you just need to borrow one for the service, that's fine too. Or look it up on your phone. Luke chapter 15. Luke is one of the four Gospels, uh, which, which are basically biographies of Jesus' life, about his life and teachings, and what it means to kind of follow him. And so uh, we'll be in Luke chapter 15. This is often called the lost and found chapter. So while you're looking there, let me just tell you a little bit about it. When God looks down on creation and he sees us, what he sees is his precious creation, humanity, whom he loves very much, but who at some point in our life, we turn from him. We rebel uh, very often consciously, sometimes somewhat unconsciously, and, and we live in a life of what we call sin. Like, it separates us from God. And what God calls that in his word is being lost. Lost from him, separated from him. And it breaks God's heart to think that he might lose us. And so he has gone through some extremely long distance to find us. In fact, the more valuable something is to you, the harder and longer you will look for it. And so chapter 15 is actually Jesus telling three stories about some lost things to give us a picture of what it means to God. To find us. And when we find Jesus in Luke chapter 15, he's actually uh, with a diverse group of people. So follow along with me when we get Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. It starts out like this. It says, now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Pause. Jesus was hanging out with some tax collectors and sinners. This is shorthand for ne'er-do-well bad people like that's just what when when in this culture if someone said you're like a tax collector or a sinner uh, the tax collectors were not trusted by the jewish people they were an occupying force from rome or rome was an occupying force and if you were a tax collector you worked for the man you worked for rome and you were kind of betraying your people also they were notoriously dishonest so to call you a tax collector is a big slam okay and then the sinners well their problem was they were sinners. And so it's like, it's just a general, tax collectors and sinners. Ugh. And so Jesus is hanging out with these tax collectors and sinners. And the reason it's brought up is because there's also a group of religious leaders who are hanging out with Jesus. And they don't like the fact that Jesus hangs out with these tax collectors and sinners. And so verse 2 says, but the Pharisees, these are some uh, kind of teachers of the law and they were religious leaders. The Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this guy. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. As in many cultures, the people you share a meal with is very important. So to eat with someone who you think is below you, that's a big taboo, right? So this is kind of what's going on here. Now, Jesus is no stranger to conflict with these Pharisees. Uh, there's several 
opposing groups to Jesus. And the thing about the Pharisees was that they were super legalistic about their understanding of the Old Testament law. And they really didn't like the way that Jesus would hang out with people who weren't also legalistic about their understanding about the Jesus, Jewish law. And he really, they really didn't like the fact that he would lower himself, degrade himself, and be with people who weren't actively trying to be ceremonially clean and uphold every little small point of the law. And so they didn't like that about Jesus. They didn't like his message of grace. They, hide, they hated the idea that someone might hang out with someone who doesn't think and act exactly like them. Okay, maybe you know some people like that. And so they're always having conflict with Jesus. Now Jesus, uh, we could learn a lot from Jesus' reaction here. Now, we don't get much of his reaction. Uh, well, we do. He's about to tell some stories. But we, we, we see some things he doesn't do. Uh, if you've ever been uh, talked badly about, uh, maybe you've had some reactions to those people. Jesus could have, I don't know, called down lightning on their heads because he's God in the flesh. That could have been an option he could have done. He could have, like, put Peter on them and Peter could have punched them in the face because, like, Peter was all about that kind of stuff. Like, if you read Peter's story, this is one time where he pulls out, like, a little sword and just chops this guy's ears off. This, I mean, it's like, that's a true story. So, like, he could have, like, but Peter, just take care of my light work. Like, he could have done that. But instead, he just like, okay, all right, I hear, I hear what you're saying. How about I tell you a few stories? To make my point. So he's going to tell three stories. And these are all, I told you, these are, this is a lost and found chapter. These are all stories about things that were lost and that were found. Now there are three stories. We're not going to dive deeply into all three of them. I want to skim through number one and skim through number three. And then I want to land firmly in, no, in number two. Because it, it kind of encapsulates everything we want to say today. But let's just, let's just get the context. Okay, story number one. If you're looking at it, I think it starts in verse three in chapter 15. But it's basically the story of the shepherd. He has a hundred sheep. Maybe you know this story. He has a hundred sheep. 99 of them are doing great. Okay, they're apparently eating well and they're healthy and they're handing out in the pasture. But he realizes one of them is missing. So he leaves the 99 and he goes in search for the one. And that's the story. And uh, it's a story of God's love. That, yeah, we're really excited. He's saying this to the Pharisees. He's making his point. We're really excited that you know God. We're really excited that you have all your ducks in a row. But there are some people over here who don't have their ducks in a row. I'm going to go after them. And then it says in verse 5, we can read this together, that when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls all his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Now this story is so powerful that actually a lamb over someone's shoulders becomes a very early symbol of Christianity. You've seen the fish and maybe some other symbols. The idea of Jesus with a, or a shepherd with a sheep over his neck, that's kind of the the mission of Jesus to come down here and pick up the little lost sheep and put them on his neck. Like it's, it's pretty, okay, that's story number one. Lost and found story number one. We're going to skip number two for a second. We're going to come back to it. Lost and found story number three. You may be familiar with this one. It's pretty popular. Uh, we call it the story of the prodigal son. You know this story? The, a prodigal, the word prodigal means like wasteful. Okay, so this is a story of this guy. And he goes to his father, totally disgraces his father, who is still very much alive, and says to him, Father, I would like to have my inheritance now so that I can go live on my own. Now, I don't know if you've ever received an inheritance, but typically, inheritance happens after someone... We good? Inheritance happens after someone is dead, right? But he goes to his dad and says, 
I want my inheritance now, uh, which equates to probably like two thirds of this guy's total wealth. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So he gets his wealth. He gets his inheritance. He leaves town and he's totally wasteful with it. He goes to the big city. He lives a life of, you know, boozing it up and spending it on girls and spending it on parties and who knows what else. And eventually he spends his whole family's wealth, probably two thirds of it. He wasted. He's prodigal. Okay. He's at rock bottom. He's ready to eat food again and stay in a house again. So he realizes his only out is to go back home and grovel to his father and say, Father, I've made a big mistake. Can you please let me back into your house? Maybe I can just be a servant in your house. That's his plan. But he goes home. Now, we call this story the story of the prodigal son, but I've often felt that it would be better suited if we called it the story of the forgiving father, (laughs) because that's really the message of this story. This son who's going home hoping that he might get a spot as a servant at his dad's house has no idea that his dad has been just worried sick about him. Any parents in the house? If your, parents, if your kids just ran off and were being idiots, yeah, you're mad and you're frustrated and you wish they would do differently, but you love them. And so just like any parent, that dad's standing by the street every day and he's looking up the road and he's like, I just hope he comes home. And so his son starts coming home. And then what we see is this amazing moment where while the son is here to beg for forgiveness, the dad runs out to greet him, which is hugely inappropriate for the patriarch of the house to do, to run and, you know, lower himself like that. He wraps his arms around him. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts a robe on his back. He calls for a party. And he says, I forgive you, welcome you back into your house. And this is where we'll pick up in verse 24 of Luke 15. The father says, for this son of mine was dead, but now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Okay, so you see the kind of parallel stories. You got something that's lost, something that was found, and it was exciting at the end. These two stories are bookends to the one I want to look at today. And it's actually a very short little tale. It won't take us long to read through it. But it's full of truth about God's light. Um, This is what's called the parable of the lost coin. So if you've got your Bibles open still, look at verse 8. Jesus picks it up like this. He says, suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coins. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And in this tiny little story, we get a picture of what Jesus is all about. We also see how it ties into the goal of being lamp lighters and shining God's light into people's life. And so let's, let's find it. Let's discover the, last, the third gift of being a lamp lighter today. Uh, first, we'll talk about this coin or these coins that the woman has lost. Most scholars would agree that one of these silver coins, uh, probably called a drachma, was worth like a day's wages. Okay? And so we're just going to round it to uh, even 100 bucks. Let's say that the monetary value of this coin is like 100 bucks. So uh, they say she has 10, maybe it's 1,000 bucks. I'm, 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 I'm rusty on exactly how much it would be worth, but it, it's fairly valuable. Okay? You lost a $100 bill, you'd look per, pretty hard for it, wouldn't you? Okay? And so, so it's, it's a pretty big deal she's lost this money because there's some monetary value. Um, but... One of my favorite uh, biblical scholars, a guy named Dr. Mark Moore, he says more about it. He says, considering the fact that this is a woman and that women didn't generally work independently from a family business, there's a good chance that these coins were either given to her by her husband or might have been part of a dowry payment when she got married. 
And so, yeah, there's some monetary value to these coins, but there's also some extreme uh, symbolic and ceremonial value behind these coins. They mean something beyond that, which is probably why Jesus told the story. Not because she lost 100 bucks, but because this is a really important, probably like heirloom amount of money for her. For her. So look what she does. First it says she lights a lamp. Why do you think she lit a lamp? Because she needed to see better, right? As you, you're looking for something under your bed, you turn the light on your, flat, on your, on your cell phone on so you can see underneath there, right? So she, she lit a lamp, and then it says she begins to sweep the house. I mean, she's flipping over all the couch cushions. She's looking underneath the chair. She's looking behind, you know, the shelf. She's looking everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. This is what happens at my house when we lose the remote control. Light a lamp, sweep the corners. Where's the remote control? Like you've been there. We got to find this thing. So she is sweeping the house, looking for it. I wanted to use this story as a capstone for this whole series, first of all, because it actually gives us the first two gifts of being a lamplighter. I love that she lights a lamp, uh, first of all, and it works well with our, with our branding here for this series. But she, she actually lights a lamp physically, but she gets the gift of illumination. And we said that in illumination, it uncovers what's hidden in the darkness so that we can deal with it. And that was our first lesson in the first week. And, and also it gives her navigation. You know why you shine a light in the dark corners? So you can see what's there. It shows you the truth. It's navigation. And so she's looking and she's looking. And in this short little story, she also finds what she's looking for. And then we see the final gift that light brings. We see it in verse 9. That when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors and she says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. The final gift that light brings is celebration. Celebration. Let that sink in. Celebration. Remember, Jesus is directing these stories at the Pharisees who are angry because he's hanging out with sinners and tax collectors. How dare you? Why does this guy hang out with sinners and tax collectors? He's eating meals with them. And Jesus says, listen here, listen here, listen here. There's a lost sheep. This lady has some lost coins. This guy had a lost son. And these three people would not rest until they found the thing that was lost. And when they found it, they threw a party. Because the more valuable something is, the harder you will look for it. And the longer you will look for it. They said, rejoice with me. What was lost is now found. And so Jesus is saying, look, I came here because there are people living apart from God. They are lost. You better believe I'm hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, and lepers, and people who don't even believe the things that we believe. Because more important than being in the club is going out to find the people who aren't and letting them know about the love of God. And when I find what I'm looking for, in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The light of God leads to celebration. Picture it, okay? Birthday candles, light. Fireworks, Christmas lights, bonfires, sparklers. See, light isn't just about going in the dark corners and looking for boogeymen. Because once the light brightens the place up, you can party. You can celebrate. You see the truth. You've exposed the brokenness. And you find what you're looking for. When we live in opposition, opposition or ignorance to God, 
or when we live in sin in our life. This is the hard truth of spiritual life, okay? It's not fun to talk about, but we are lost in the sense that we cannot find our way back into the presence of God on our own. We can't do it. We live in a world where you're not supposed to say things that are uncomfortable. One of the most uncomfortable things you could possibly say to someone is like, I'm not sure that you're good with God. How dare you judge me? Actually, I'm not judging you. But if you look at the broken world around us, it's obvious that some things are not working. We've got to shine light on those things so that we can fix them. We've got to shine light on those things so we can discover truth. And as truth comes to fruition, we don't just live in fear of the boogie monster. Now, the kingdom of God is a place of celebration, a place where we throw down because we're excited. Because God loved us so much that he, he, he spared no expense to come find us. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, says it this way. This is the apostle Paul talking. He says, you know what? You see, at, at just the right time, in fact, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die, even for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Palm Sunday. And do you realize that when Jesus came into the world, he was coming into the world on a rescue mission. And if you know the story of Palm Sunday, it's, it's the triumphal entry where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. People are singing his praises, laying down palm branches and coats at his feet. He's riding on this donkey. It's regal. It's actually a very political statement that he's making. But what they don't realize is that God has actually sent their Messiah, their Savior, who's not just going to rescue them from the Romans. Actually, that wasn't even the goal. But it's going to rescue them from a kingdom of slavery to sin. He was on a rescue mission. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is about Jesus. It says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. If that's not something to celebrate, I don't know what is. Next week on Easter Sunday, we're starting a brand new teaching series called Kingdom Come in Wilmington as it is in heaven. Because we're invited to live in a new kingdom, a new way, with a new king and new citizenship. And that's something to celebrate. And we can invite people into that. And nothing is celebrated more than someone who is in sin, repenting, which means turning their life back to God, giving up on that old way of death and decay, and walking into the light of God. Every week I give us a challenge, and this week's challenge is super important. In fact, if you are a Christian today, it might be the most important challenge you have all the time. I mean, it's up there. It's one of the top ones. And uh, the idea with our weekly challenges is, and I want to remind you as often as I can remember, is that when we do these challenges, the understanding is that we are all going to try to do this, okay? This isn't like lecture time and an old van down by the river for, you know, encouraging speech from Chris time. Like, this, that's, that's, not, that's not the goal of this time. So, oh, was, he said some good things. No, we are mobilized as the kingdom of God to do good in this world, okay? So that's what these challenges are about. This week is very important. Here's your challenge. It's my challenge too. This week, let's intentionally celebrate the darkness that God has rescued you from. By telling someone else about it. You might not have a seminary degree. You might not have even read a whole book of the Bible. 
or memorize the short verses yet. You might not be able to look up verses in the Bible because you still go back to the index. That's, that's fine. I encourage you to work on that. Spend more time in the Bible. You might not have all the best answers to everyone's hard questions, but I'll tell you what you do have. You got your story. And that is way more powerful than a seminary degree. Because for you to go to someone and say, listen, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Nobody can refute that. Uh, I've been safe from several darknesses in my life. And I've talked a lot about them at different times. I mean, I've had serious seasons of anxiety and depression that was in my head. And I've really been able to be freed from that through the grace of God and being in his light. I've had some serious seasons of addiction that, I mean, it could have brought the whole house down, really. With the help of a Christian counselor and some really good Christian buddies for decades, I can say that I've been free of that. And like, I don't know what you're wrestling with, but whatever your darkness is, you're not alone. And if you could tell somebody that God helps you get through that, it could change their life. It could change their eternity. So our challenge this week is to celebrate the darkness that God has rescued you from by telling us, telling someone else about it. Your, your story might be someone else's like survival guide. I think I saw that on Facebook this week. Um, now, here's the other thing. You might be here this morning and you don't know that you have that story yet. You're still feeling like you're in a lot of brokenness, a lot of darkness. and Maybe you haven't taken the moment to turn your life over to God, to become a Christian. Uh, I can't think of a better gift to give God this Easter season than to say this is, this is my time. Actually, I'm looking out right now, and I know of several of you that I'm looking at that we got to baptize on an Easter Sunday. That's a really cool day to get baptized. Um, it could be an all, an all new start for you, a fresh beginning. Will you put to death the old self and rise in newness of life? And so maybe part of telling your story to someone this week is going to someone and say, look, I'm still in it, but I'm coming out of it because I'm done with this. I'm turning my life over to the one who's been looking for me for my whole life. Make God happy. Because in the same way, he says, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents, turning from their old ways to the new ways. And I'm telling you what, there'll be, there'll be some celebration in this family as well. And here's the last challenge for the week. It is Easter Sunday week. And I want to encourage you to take some time this week to think about people you might start inviting on this walk with you. That was last week's challenge. Remember, invite somebody to join you on the walk. You got these invite cards? Invite someone to church next Sunday. Come on, like what's the worst that could happen? They're like, no. Okay. They're probably still your friends. They're probably like, they'll probably say, thanks, but no. <laughs> like probably. If they don't, they're probably not very good friends. So, but invite them to what you're doing Come celebrate this with me. This is an important day. And we'll do our best to show the love of God to them when they get here. Invite them to come back the next week to the picnic. There's so many people in the city who are living far from God. And it's inexcusable when we as Christians don't step into their life and say, can I, can I just show you something better? Yeah, you got a lot of questions. Ah, me too. But let's start with light. Let's start there, okay? And let's talk about the rescue mission. As we close today, I, I just want to... I just want to say this, as a church family, we're not, we are not just here so that you can have a, a, a checkbox that you did church on Sunday. It's not what we're here for. In fact, I'm not sure that anyone of us really cares about your personal perfect attendance, because that's not the goal. 
what we care about is your soul and that you can connect it with the God who loves you. It may result in perfect attendance. (laughs) But what it will also result in is shining light into the darkness of your life and letting that overflow so that you and me, we can be lamp lighters to the other people around us who need it. Let's do this. Let me pray for us this morning.